Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as host Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. You know, it's supposed to be kind of a dead time in sports right now. These are what they usually call the dog days of summer during baseball season when not a lot is going on. But, Mike, that is just not the case anymore in this world that we live in with the NFL now a a 12-month-a-year season. And the NBA is basically a a 12-month-a-year season. Now, there is no downtime in the NBA as we've... You know, the the free agency with LeBron coming to the Lakers. There's been the buzz all summer. Now the summer league started. The NBA draft goes right after the NBA finals. And now this morning we're hearing some rumors that Kawhi might be headed to Toronto. Doesn't it kind of seem in a way that the NBA slowly taken over as the number one, at least most covered sport in America? Maybe taking over football a little bit? Or is that just me? Kind no, of, it does. It you does. know, doesn't it feel like that? Isn't it weird? That and I heard this discussed yesterday. I can't remember where, but we talk about how it might be bad for the NBA in general that it's just become, you know, the Warriors and the Finals every year. But from Grand Gale, everybody's still talking about the NBA, right? Like maybe great for the rest of the league and as far as who's going to end up in the finals, but. I don't think from a grand scale, it's really not a bad thing because we all know everyone who's going where, what's happening, what, what's going here. And when you look at Toronto, to me, it's a little different than when, you know, like the Lakers become favorite for LeBron or when a team like um, even the Warriors are heavy favorites or, a t- or any of kind of the bigger name teams. When you, and we see it happen with the Yankees a lot because the people bet the Yankees. But Who's going into Vegas or any of these books right now and betting a ton of money on Kawhi going to Toronto? To me, they must know something, and, and he might he must be getting ready to maybe go there because I can't see the big money moving in for Toronto unless that's really happening, right? Yeah. I, it's, like, they it's don't hard. see one of those sexy names that just the average fan is betting Kawhi going to Toronto. To me, that feels like there's something more under under the radar there that we don't quite know about. Yeah, it seems very Spurs-ish, right? Yep. They yep, don't want right. to give him to anybody that's going to come back to bite them, right? And Toronto, let's face it, is not going to come back to bite the Spurs, unless they were to meet in the finals or something. But it's just not going to happen, right? So this seems very Spurs-like. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if this goes down, because that would make Toronto actually a pretty dangerous team. I mean, they were the one seed. Let's not forget about that. Everybody's been focused entirely on the Celtics, because they figure, hey, you took, took the the uh, East championship to the brink and without your two best players. Right. So everybody's kind of almost crowned the Celtics, especially with LeBron out of the East, but Hey, let's not forget about Toronto. They might be a dangerous team with Kawhi. I mean, they're, you have to imagine right now, even without making any move, they're a top four or five seed, you know, in the, in, in the East again. So you make a move like that and you upgrade a little bit with Kawhi. Sure. You're right there in the mix of it again. And it's a very weak E, so we're not going to spend a ton of time on this because we don't really know exactly what's happening, but kind of interesting buzz, right, as we start the show, reading that the lines have really moved a lot. So maybe by the time we we uh, meet again next week, we could be talking about Kawhi in Toronto and how that changes and shapes things for the East. But, 
as we've seen, and you mentioned, it's just been really fun and pretty crazy out here in L.A. over the last couple of weeks with LeBron now um, committing here, signing the contract, and we're hearing little things all coming out about uh, how it happened, how we got LeBron here, uh, LeBron's thoughts on some of the young guys. To me, I thought one of the funniest stories in hearing all about how things went behind the scenes was that Magic, uh, when he had his meeting with LeBron, they had a meeting scheduled at 9.01, right when free agency started, and Magic was so excited, he got to LeBron's house like an hour early for their meeting, and he just sat in his car. He, did, he was so excited to, to get there to meet with him. He was so early, but he didn't want to go in and ruin anything, so he just kind of sat there thinking like, okay, is LeBron coming? Now, where in the world is there any other place that Magic Johnson would be nervous? You know, that's what's great about that story. I just, it, it was awesome, and it was I don't think I don't think he's here if it's not for magic. Uh, I'm sure he's got comfy seats in his car too. So he yeah. uh, <laughs> he's got right? the heated seats at least, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The well, warmers there, you know, exactly. at least those things. Yeah, and and the coolers for when it's hot and humid in Ohio, right? So. Oh, ab- absolutely. Super reclining chairs too. I'd imagine he can throw that chair all the way back. So, um, you know, as you said, even though it's not basketball season, still a lot of uh, of basketball discussion here in LA right now because uh, it seems like the Lakers are definitely jumping back into the forefront of, uh, of topics of discussion. But we found out, Mike, um, just in the last week, the MLB all-star rosters have come out and we also have the home run derby lineups out. And man, just a first glance, when you look through the all-stars, isn't it crazy to see how baseball has really changed in the last, you know, five years in particular, so many new names showing up on these lists each and every year. It's not like, you know, in the, the mid-90s where you knew every player at every position every year they were going to be seven out of the same nine starting and they had been starting for eight to ten years. It's very, very different this year. Just look at the uh, home run derby list, right? The contestants. Oh, you know, Jesus Aguilar, Rice Hoskins, Alex Bregman, Kyle Schwarber, Bryce Harper, Freddie Freeman, Max Muncie, and Javier Baez. All are super young, except for maybe Freddie Freeman, who's late 20s, right? Yeah. So, I mean, everybody here is like a first, second, third, fourth year play. I mean, the veterans are Bryce Harper and Freddie Freeman. Bryce Harper is still super young. It's, it, it's, and we're saying it's not, it's a problem I think that baseball is starting to have now because I was sitting with a good friend of mine the other day and um, she's not like a huge sports fan, but she lives in LA. She knows she watches the Dodgers. She watches the Lakers. She knows what's going on. And she actually works in horse racing. So she knows sports plenty well. And I asked her, the Dodgers were playing the Angels. And Mike Trout was up. And Mike Trout came up and he was like three for three in the game. And I said, you know who Mike Trout is? And she didn't. And I think that's a pretty good example of, you know, like an a average to maybe even a little below average of baseball fan. Mike Trout is basically this era's Babe Ruth. He's one of the best players uh, in any sport. He is so dominant, and he just goes so under the radar. You don't hear about him at all. Uh, and that's always been a problem. It's been a problem with baseball in the last 10 years with marketing their stars. You really don't know a lot of these big-name stars. Well, you know what, though? I, I see the same thing in the NFL. No, right? Right. Yeah, it's true. It's true. When, I, when, I ask, when, when people ask me, like, who are the guys you represent, sometimes I jokingly ask, well, let me ask you first, how many Buffalo Bills can you name? It's how many true. Tampa Bay Buccaneers can you name? How many Jags can you name? How many Texans, not J.J. Watt, can you name? You know what I mean? And most people at the most can name one or two guys. Sure. 
you know, it's it's the Brady's and and the, and the Drew Brees and, and Aaron Rodgers and those type of guys. Maybe a couple of running backs and receivers, but for the most part, nobody knows any offensive linemen. Nobody knows anybody on defense unless they are, you know, a hard hitter or you know, engage in a lot of interceptions, you know, or a lot of sacks like JJ Watt. For the most part, though, I'd say most people don't know ninety five percent of the NFL. I, I think that's also because they wear a helmet and are sure, super padded yeah. up. But I agree with you. Everybody should know Mike Trout. It seems like Bryce Harper is much more known than Trout. Maybe that's because he's an East Coast guy and plays in D.C. But His personality is a little Trout, different. Trout's too. a lot better. Yeah, than, no, Trout's way better. I mean, he's... It, it's not even close. I even, even someone like me, like when you look at Trout, like I, I you, we play fantasy baseball, crazy fantasy leagues. You're in an NL-only league with the, where the statistics are insane. Like, we're, we know a lot of players that are under the radar or, you know, you're playing daily fantasy. And... You, you even – I don't appreciate him the way that he deserves to be appreciated. When you look at his numbers and what he consistently does, it's, it's really insane. Um, you know, and and unfortunately now with the Angels starting to struggle, you, you're probably not going to see him in the postseason this year um, because they're in a really tough division right now. And, you know, the Mariners have been one of the big surprises of the first half. They're in some trouble, too, because they're also in the division there with Houston. So now you're behind Houston and the Mariners for the division. And then you got to worry about the Yankees for the other wild card. So, I mean, if you're the Angels, you're in some trouble right now. you got to be playing some good baseball. They just lost Garrett Richards the other day, who did not look good. They're not quite sure exactly what they're going to do with him. Uh, so they might be in some trouble to where they might have to start a start selling off some pieces so now you start to wonder this angels team who looks so good at the beginning of the year remember all the otani for mvp discussions the, that first month of the season when he was hitting the ball well and pitching and now uh, that has shifted quite a bit for the angels in, in just the last few weeks and you know as we're talking trout and we transitioned into the angels kind of a uh, lackluster start of the season i think i have to give you a few minutes to stand up on your soapbox mike because the red sox have been absolutely incredible with 65 wins before the all-star break i believe they tied a record with that number and you would know better than me nine wins in a row i think that's their third winning streak of at least seven this year uh let just tell us a little bit about the red sox and how they are this good right now they were the one of the worst hitting home run teams last year and that was, in my eyes, attributed to not having David Ortiz in the middle of a lineup. Not one may ask, how can you go from one of the most prolific home run hitting teams to the worst, and then back to being one of the best just because of J.D. Martinez? It's really something else, I'll tell you. These guys are all raking. Most of the team is healthy. They're doing this without Dustin Pedroia. Unfortunately, as much as I love him, I think he's a thing of the past. Yeah. But more than anything, man, their pitching is really, really solid. Their defense is really solid. Their run differentials through the roof. They've got five more wins than the Yankees and two less losses. Yankees need to, you know, be perfect in their makeup games. It's only three and a half out, long season to go. But, I mean, I don't see any signs of the Red Sox slowing down, man. And another one of those guys, you know, very similar to Mike Trout. Over the last couple of years, what Mookie Betts is doing is just unbelievable. You cannot get this guy out. Uh, you mentioned J.D. Really, it's it, J.D., Betts, and Benetiendi um, have been carrying the, the team. But the lineup, top to bottom, just incredible. Uh, as you mentioned, hitting grand slams this year. And I think that was the key. You know, last year, sounds weird. You make the playoffs. 
and you know you're one of the best four teams in the American League, but still a down year. The Red Sox, we, even getting there, you never really felt like they were going to win it all last year, right? It just didn't feel like their year. Even even when they got there, they just kind of squeaked by to get there. This is a different feel this year. The, the, the balls are bouncing the right way. You know, they're going through the hole. As you mentioned, those balls that would have been fly ball, warning track power last year, you know, a deep out. Those balls are going over the fence this year. And really, sometimes it's all it takes in baseball is just, you know, the different what they say all the time, the difference between hitting like 220 and 300 is just like an extra an extra base hit or two a week, you know. And that that's really what seems like it's happening with the Red Sox. They've all come together at once. And you almost want to cross your fingers, right, and knock on wood and hope that it's not too good too early. Because right now, if the playoffs were played, they would be a very, very difficult out. Well, and they're key, they're key components. It's not one of those things, like, even when you look at the data, it does not suggest that there's going to be a decline. Regression, you know, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't look like it because, you know, Betts, uh, you know, he, you know, the advanced analytics and, and advanced They're metrics. all hitting the ball hard. They're hitting, you know what I mean? Yep. It's not like weak, yep. weak stats. You're right. Yeah, you know, and, and even, even Betts, he has a higher slugging percentage than J.D. Martinez. With that said, he has less than half the strikeouts. I mean, the guy's got 100 hits already, 25 doubles, 22 home runs, 16 steals. He's missed some games, unfortunately, or else his numbers would even that. You know, he'd probably be a 200-hit guy, 40-home run guy, 40-steal guy, 50-doubles guy, you know. And you've got a bunch of dangerous hitters in front and behind him, so much so that Hanley Ramirez was expendable. Yeah, they, they just – they, Flat they, out released him. They like right? Moreland, and it opened up some time for Moreland, who's now an all-star. Mitch yep. Moreland, who makes the all-star team this year. Now, let me play a little devil's advocate, though, because we're talking about how everything is going great right now for Boston, but they did just come across an injury now with their starting catcher. So for the next six to eight weeks, that's going to be a spot where I actually just picked up Sandy Leone uh, to try to fill in for the next few weeks because he'll be in the middle or towards the back end of a very strong Boston lineup. So he'll have opportunities to get some RBIs. He'll have plenty of opportunities with men on base there. So that, I think that'll be a big key for the next, you know, the better part of two months now. How can Boston, can they fill that hole? You know, they don't need it. They don't need anyone to hit 300, but with, with Leon and I think it's Swihart, who's your other catcher, can they combine, you know, just to hit 250, 240 and just be average because in the catcher spot, as you know, playing fantasy this year, this is one of the weaker positions I think I can ever remember. Even catcher being, there is not a ton of strong catchers this year throughout the league. So they don't need to be awesome. Just, you know, slightly less than replacement level to keep the lineup fine. That I think that might be something where that will struggle with the, for the next few weeks. But with a good team, can they, can they make up for that? Yeah, I mean... Pretty much, you know, there's maybe two or three really good hitting catchers in the league. You know, yeah. Wilson Contreras and Posey and the guy in Florida. And, you know, outside of that, I mean, um, there's really not a lot of, like, big-time slugging catchers. And when you find them, they have a really, really weak batting average. I don't think they need Sandy Leone to even hit. They just need him to, you know, be comfortable and have the pitchers be comfortable with him. You know, call a good game. And that's pretty much all they need because everybody else is breaking. Like we yeah. said, like not just you're not just hitting 100. That's that's really all it comes down to, you know. Yep. Just put the ball in place every now and then. Just make it seem that you are a you're a hitter that the pitchers at least have to attack. 
You know, yeah. you know, be a good at bat. You know, get like make them throw you some strikes, get on base a little bit. But just like you said, you don't need to even hit over two twenty two. Just don't be a black hole in the lineup for the next six weeks, and that's all you really have to do. Because, I mean, when you really look at the, the American League, it is incredibly top heavy. the The difference between the American League and the National League is is it's kind of funny when you look at it. The National League is the opposite. There really aren't any great teams. There's a there's like ten from slightly above average to average teams, and then you look at the American League, and you have like four really good teams, and then everybody else is just not good. And we'll put it you this way: the Oakland A's would have they have more wins than the NL East leading uh, Braves, who are tied with the Phillies. As well as the the Diamondbacks the and the Dodgers, yeah, right. So the A's have fifty two wins. Only team that's got more wins than them in the National League are the Milwaukee Brewers. Let's not sleep on the Oakland A's and the tremendous job that they're doing with no names at all. Nothing. Maybe Chris Davis at the most, but their pitching staff has been absolutely decimated. Nonetheless, they they're getting good pitching, timely they hitting. I love seeing I love seeing small market teams do well. Me too. I like they seeing always the, overachieve. You know, yeah. Yeah, the A's are really one of those teams where if they get their stadium situated, they've got such a good farm system, such great scouting, you know, they'd be kind of the Atlanta Braves uh, West. You know, I'd like to see that. I hope they could settle their stadium issues because that's the only thing that's missing from them spending some money. And uh, if you, as a Red Sox fan, were to get the number one seed, like let's say right now the playoffs were to start, the Red Sox would have the number one seed in the in the American League. Who in in the the Indians are going to win the Central? The Central is an awful division. The Indians having a a, a good year and in a weak division, and they'll be there. That's what we know about the Indians. They're proven in the playoffs, and they're a team that you probably don't want to match up with in the playoffs because they do have pitching, they do have pen, and they do have a, a pretty deep lineup. And then you have Houston and Seattle, who, who's playing uh, over there. Um, Houston, we saw some struggles with Giles the other day. They sent him down, so they're having a little bull, some bullpen issues, but. You know, Seattle, Seattle has been incredible. So the West, we got to really say, has been the big surprise. The American League West and I think the NL East have probably been the two biggest surprises in in baseball and just seeing how well the Mariners and the A's have played. And then when we move to the East, seeing how well the Braves and the Phillies have played. And you got to be a little disappointed with the Nationals. Very disappointed with the Nationals. Goes back to our Bryce Harper conversation from a few moments ago between him and Trout, but... Harper's not hitting. A lot of their guys aren't hitting. You know, outside of Max Scherzer, there's really not been that guy that you could rely on every day for any kind of consistency. It's funny, too, because when you look at some of the guys' statistics overall for the year, you know, some of the guys are putting together some pretty decent numbers, but they really, really come in waves. Like Anthony Rendon, who I think is one of the, you know, top hitters in the National League, you know, most of his stats have all come in like a week period. Michael Taylor, same thing, picked up a bunch of steals for most of the year. He was batting under 200, you know, just uh, put together 10 good games where he went two for that's four, a, two for five, three for four. That's a great point. You know, and he's got to 250 so average. So untimely, right? Yeah, yeah, that's Un- exactly it, what it is. And Bryce Harper at, has a ton of home runs, but overall he's not having a good season. It's not, like, they're not timely homers. Like you look at the numbers for all of the key players, and they all seem like they're not bad. Right, and you look at him, you're like, well, they're all getting theirs, but it's just untimely. That, that's a great point, Mike. You see that with so many of these teams, where you look up and down, you're like, what's the difference between last year to this year? Well, it's what's their uh, average with runners in scoring position. You know, that that's the difference, honestly, yep. when, when it comes down to it a lot. And I know we're getting set 
for a quick break. But I, I wanted to give a, a shout out and see if you remember, because the best team in the National League right now is the Milwaukee Brewers. And you remember when we had our our MLB preview, when we talked to Eno Saris, one of the things he was talking about was when he was in spring training and going to meet with the different teams. Remember how loose he said Milwaukee was? They were in the outfield. They were playing soccer and they were just having a good time. They were completely different than all the other teams who are a little more regimented and restricted. I think he said they were a young group and they were just having fun. And it, this is what it feels like with this Milwaukee team, man. They're out there crushing the ball. You and I spoke a few times off air about uh, Jesus Aguilar because we we were lucky enough to snag him for uh, for fantasy. And now he got voted in as the uh, the last guy to make the all-star team. So a Milwaukee 307, 23 home runs, 67 RBIs. To me, that's the first half MVP in the NL. And that's what they were, uh, his coaches were kind of pleading recently. Hey, this guy doesn't just deserve to be on the all-star team. He deserves to be getting some legit AL MVP looks. You got to remember, he was the backup first baseman. He only started getting some playing time like about two and a half, three weeks into the season. Once Thames had an issue and Braun went down, they had some injuries. So they really just had to kind of throw him in and he forced them to keep to continue to play him, so um, one one home run through the month of April, everything has been in May and June and early in July. He had about a week spurt where he looked like he was starting to cool off, and I wondered like ah maybe they, the pitchers have figured him out, and then he snapped right back into it again and just turned it right back on. I think he went down to like two eighty, and he's right back up to three hundred now. Um, just a great call by Eno too, um, with how well Milwaukee has played. I'd, Let's uh, let's continue our baseball conversation. I think we're coming up on a break, but we're rolling well right now, and uh, we have a lot to talk about. We can shift over, talk more about the All Star Game, make some predictions for the Home Run Derby, and then we'll uh, we'll continue on into World Cup because I know World Cup final. You have some thoughts on that, and we were horrendous with some of our selections in the uh, the World Cup. So hopefully we can come back and uh, and I think as somebody said, it, it looked like. Basically, there were a lot of number two and three seeds if this was the NCAA tournament that made it to the final four in the World Cup. None of the really big, big, big names, but a lot of very, very solid teams made it. So more baseball, more World Cup when we return from this quick break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Want to experience football from the perspective of two former players who also have coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver and Sam Sword. We'll talk about the drafts, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl and Sam had the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. We'll cover the camps, on and off field, and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby on Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. 
your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Just a few days out from the MLB All-Star Game, we are talking Major League Baseball and the first half of the season here. Mike Abadir and Gino Bacola. And Mike, as we kind of transition from the American League into the National League, we were talking about the team that we have to say has been the biggest disappointment in the league so far, and that is the Washington Nationals. You made a great point before the break talking about how, you know, when you look at their numbers, everyone's okay, but one of the more disappointing players, we'd have to say, it be only disappointing because his upside and his ceiling is so high, and that's Trey Turner. Yeah, you know, uh, for the listeners out there that play fantasy baseball, everybody knows what we're talking about when we say that he was kind of projected to be the number one rated fantasy player, at least in the National League, probably in all of baseball. And that's because of his high runs potential for the five by five leagues. Batting average is supposed to be pretty high home runs, RBIs, and then, of course, stolen bases. But Trey Turner really, you know, it's kind of mirrored the rest of the ball club. You know, they've just been consistent, just kind of been, uh, yeah, I mean, he hasn't, he's not having a terrible season. When you look at his numbers on paper, you know, overall, they look pretty decent. I mean, he's going to end up hitting, you know, probably 18 to 22 home runs and getting his 40 steals, hitting 270. But it's not a meaningful pack of, of numbers that help you win ball games. I mean, right now they're stuck at 46 and 46, right at 500. Interesting to me that, you know, some of these teams get rid of their managers and take a step forward. You know, Red Sox is a great example with Cora. Dusty Baker, he's really good with the vets. So I kind of wonder if the Nationals are a little bit regretting moving on from Baker. I know they hadn't achieved playoff success like they'd hoped. But look, that wasn't Baker's fault, in my opinion. I didn't see any managerial decisions that came back to haunt them overall. And I'm not saying that Martinez isn't going to be a good hire. I'm just saying why mess with something that's good? That's kind of my opinion. Who knows? Maybe inside the uh, you know front office, they had some insight into some things. Maybe some players are a little bit disgruntled. Maybe Baker had showed some favoritism, which he's shown before, in the same way that the Red Sox had some insight and knew that a fresh voice would come into play. I think a lot of it, by the way, has to do with the fact that these clubs now have more and more Latin-based uh, or Latin-originated players, if you want to call them that, guys from the Dominican, from South America, Venezuela, etc. And so a guy like Cora, I think, is a little bit more relatable uh, than a John Farrell, perhaps. Maybe that goes into it. I don't know. But nonetheless, Nationals, huge, huge disappointment. About a month ago, it probably would, would have been them and the Dodgers that we would have been talking about as the big disappointment. Isn't it quickly, crazy how quick it, it changes? Completely because, turned. Because now when you look at their team, and, and not only they were a little disappointing, but you look at the two teams in their division who are playing well, and you just you project the future – the Phillies and the Braves, they're not going anywhere. I mean, these are two very good young teams that are probably a year or two ahead of where we all expected them to be. So if these two teams are here now, 
man, that's going to put a lot of pressure on this Washington Nationals team. And we don't know how long Bryce Harper is going to be around um, with a massive contract coming up. It, I, you know, it, it's it's funny how just quick things can shift. And now you look at Atlanta, you look at, you know, Philadelphia, who at the beginning of the year when Kapler was making a couple of those moves where, you know, the, the over analytical moves and we were all uh, the media and everyone was saying, is this, is this guy ready? Well, he has really settled in and they have they have an absolute stud Cy Young candidate there in Aaron Nola. So they they have some legit players. That team is ready to contend. The Braves, I mean, you look at their lineup, their batting order is awesome. They've had a couple pitchers really overachieving this year so far, too. That team, you know, has had a very strong first half. I think Washington, they better, they better you know, have a, a team meeting and really look themselves in the eye over this all-star break because if they don't come out and play, you know, a, a very good 10 games in a row, they are going to be in some big trouble. They're going to have a tough time trying to make it to the postseason this year. Yeah, and you know why a lot of the teams in NL East are kind of treading water a little bit. I mean, even with the Braves and the Phillies overachieving and, and having some nice seasons, they're still only, you know, 51 and 40. You know, they haven't necessarily uh, shown themselves to be the class of the NL or anything like that. I don't think they're necessarily World Series contenders, but you should be happy for them for taking a huge step forward with being as young as they are. The problem with the entire NL East is there's not an established closer in that entire division that you could really, really, really rely on. <laughs> That's another good point. You right? know, I mean, even the Nationals with Doolittle having a nice season are like, you know what? We need to get the guy from the Royals. You know, we need They're to pin- make That's a move. That's always been an issue for them. They're yeah, pin- the, the yeah. Phillies have a, a bullpen by committee when it comes to their closers. They don't have an established guy. And the Braves, the same thing. It's Vizcaino. It's Minter. You know, the Marlins, you know, they've got a guy, Bearclaw, who's now getting a few saves for them. But overall, with that division, I think that's the, the biggest problem. Um, it'll be interesting to see if, if maybe one of those teams goes for a Brad Hand from the Padres. But let me tell you something that really irks me, by the way, especially, I mean, not to make this all about fantasy, but it really irks me when a team, and they do this all the time, both leagues, they trade for a closer and then use him as a setup guy. Yeah, I never understood that. Yeah, you take him out of his position, out of his mindset, out of his role, and put him into something else. That to me doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense. You know, if if you're if you're if you're Washington, and and you make that trade right, and you get Kelvin Herrera, who is having a fantastic season for the Royals, put him in as your closer. Otherwise, why are you making that trade? I don't understand that. Why don't you get a setup guy? Because, you know, it's funny. I agree with you. It looks good on paper a lot of the times, right? It's like when you, you're stacking your batting lineup or you get another star in the NBA to put on your team. But you got to remember, this: these aren't just stats. These are humans. These are people. And a lot of the, the closers, they are closers for a particular reason. They are the really pressure Pack, they like that moment. The, that's the type of player they are. They get that adrenaline rush through them. I mean, as a Dodger fan, we see it happen with Kenley all the time. When you put him in and you bring him in a spot that when they're up by 10 or they're down by 5, he always gives up a couple runs. It's like there's no pressure there and he doesn't have the same intensity. And a lot of these closers are like that, Mike. They are closers for a reason because they've got the stuff to be starters they probably can't make it, you know, through a few innings, but they focus in and they are able to just not worry about pressure situations. They don't even register the pressure and they just rear back and throw. 
I'm with you. A lot of the times you bring in these closers, think they're going to be great setup, man, and it just does not work out that way. Or um, it, it just it doesn't seem to be the perfect fit that you thought it would. So um, and what's funny, we're talking about the bullpen struggles of the National League East. And for the opposite reason, that's that's one of the main reasons why the Brewers are so good. I mean, the, the Milwaukee Brewers have an incredible three pieces late in their bullpen when you have Hayter and you have uh, Kniebel and you have Jeffries. They have probably the strongest bullpen in all of baseball. And, and to me, we talked about their lineup and Aguilar, but that is probably the reason why they're a couple games ahead of the Cubs instead of a couple games behind the Cubs. They can close games out. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and they're getting some good starting pitching as well, you know, and, uh, you know, and that, that also is despite having some injuries, but some guys have really stepped up, you know, uh, Chastin has come in and done a fantastic job. Uh, Junior Guerra has done a fantastic job. Uh, you know, they've got several, probably three, four or five guys who have come in, got wins when they've needed. And like you mentioned, I like Jeffress a lot. You know, a lot of these guys that the Brewers have are high strikeout guys. Hater, who you mentioned, 46 that, innings, man. 85 strikeouts. 46 innings, 85 strikeouts. I don't know if I've ever seen that before in, in my lifetime. You know, I don't know Some if that means novice- going to flame out or, or, or what. But yeah, if you're, if you're not a like a, a hardcore baseball fan and you're just kind of and you don't watch all the time and you don't know the name Josh Hader, look him up or watch when he pitches next time. He's really fun to watch. He he looks like a young like a Lincecum with his hair and he's just pretty pretty wild out there on the mound. The guy just has legit stuff. He's really fun to watch. One of his games I uh, I had watched where he struck out all eight of the relievers that he faced. He's one of those relievers that can, you can bring him in at any time. He can pitch three innings. You bring him in in the most high leverage situation possible. He can close out games if you need to, but you're usually better off using him, you know, in the late sixth, seventh, eighth innings when when you you really need him right when you go pull your starter. And he is an all-star this year. He's one of many that are making their first all-star appearance. And, you know, the, the Brewers have done an excellent job building yeah, that absolutely. team. They really let me, have. Let me, let me throw out another name as well. Um, once again, I'm going to mention fantasy baseball. Uh, keep an eye out for this guy. Pick him up. He's probably available in a lot of leagues. Freddie Peralta. Now, this kid is, is 22 years old from the Dominican Republic. This is an outrageous comparison, so I hate to do it, but kind of reminds me a little bit frame-wise and stuff-wise like uh, Pedro. 5'11", 175. He's come in for seven games so far. It's four and one, more strikeouts than innings pitched. His whip is 0.96, ERA is 2.65, and Brewers really, really like what they see from this guy. So this guy is a pretty legit starter that's relatively unheard of. So it's guys like that that keep coming in and stepping up for the Brewers. And, you know, uh, we, we talked a little bit about their offense, obviously, with uh, Jesus Aguilar, but they're stacked, man. Lorenzo Cain, Christine Yelich, uh, Shaw, you know, all these guys are raking. Guys from last year or the years before, like Braun and even Thames, almost don't even need to be in the lineup because these other guys are coming in and doing the job effectively. It's It's been a very different National League yeah, than it has been in American League. As we see, you know, the Brewers, look at the Braves, the Phillies, the Nationals have been okay. The Brewers, the Cubs, the Cardinals, and the Dodgers, the Diamondbacks, the Giants, and the Rockies – 
they're all teams that have been okay to above. You know, we have the Padres, the Reds have actually been playing better baseball, the Pirates and the Mi- uh, the Marlins and the Mets who have been kind of the bottom feeders. And it's the opposite. As we mentioned in the American League, you really have only four or five top tier teams. And then you have everybody else who's uh, who's at the bottom. So the races will be completely different. It'll be more of a, a race in the American League between probably the Red Sox and the Yankees and then a race to see who's going to get that home field advantage and that number one seed in the American League and in the National we it looks like we'll probably have a couple division races with the uh, with you know really all three divisions being pretty tight right now as we get close to go to the All Star break. Yeah, and I don't want to over, overlook how how well the Dodgers overall have played, and, and it's been a pretty remarkable turnaround because they've had a lot of injuries. When one guy is, is hurt, it seems like somebody else steps up. Dodgers must have great hitting coaches because they'll take somebody like a Justin Turner who hasn't achieved any success, bring him in and have him turn out to be a stud. How about uh, Max Muncy this year? Same thing. Turns out to be one of the more prolific home run hitters in a short period of time. They've been able to turn Peterson's seasons around in a short period of time. Puig gets hurt. Next man up. They call up uh, Andrew Tolls. He's a pretty solid hitter. He, you know, he, he'll do a fine job filling in. Seems like any hole that they have, Walker Bueller goes down, no problem. You know, Dodgers are deep, man. They're very, very deep, even with guys that maybe don't have, like, uh, sexy names. They'll come in and do the job. They, uh, a lot of the fans would get frustrated when um, the Dodgers don't make trades. And last year, they, they went and got Darvish. But in the years where they don't give up, you know, they don't give up the Jocks and the, the Bellingers and the Buellers, and they continue to hold on to these prospects. And th- this is what happens. These these guys just start producing, and they're all here. And as you mentioned, you look up and down the Dodgers team, they really only had like one or two All-Stars this year in the lineup. But the, the key for the Dodgers is from their like fourth best player to their like 15th best player, that's where they're so much better than everybody else. The, their th- second, third, fourth guys on the bench – how interchangeable they are. This is what the Dodgers front office wanted to build. They wanted a team like this that had, you know, eight starting pitchers. Maybe a lot of them are like number three calibers, but they're very interchangeable. They wanted to have a ton of players that could play multiple positions. Maybe, as we said, there are a lot of hitters that hit around, you know, 250, but they have good on base percentages. They, you know, they work the count. They're smart hitters. They're smart players. They make smart plays. And now the Dodgers have kind of quietly crept right back up. They're basically tied with, with the Diamondbacks. They're a half game behind them right now. They've uh, had another strong 10-game spurt where they went seven in their last three. And when you look, it's obviously a very simple and rudimentary stat. But when you just look at the the plus-minus in their differential, their run differential in the year, the Dodgers are actually uh, second in the National League, only behind the Cubs with the plus-79. So that is one stat when you see it where you think if you see a team that obviously has a really high plus differential and they're struggling, they're probably going to improve a little bit. So that, that means. Yeah, and, and by the way, the, the, Cubs, the Cubs have achieved that over the last uh, 10 to 14 games because they've yeah. had so many double digit uh, ball games and blowouts. Uh, before that, they weren't nearly uh, at, at the plus one five they're at now. Good for them. Uh, you know, I, I like seeing the Cubs do well. I think the National League is a little bit more interesting when you see, you know, the Cubs and the Cards and the Dodgers and those type of teams do well. But uh, the Dodgers, man, if they could just keep hanging in there until they get all their horses back, I think they're going to be fine. And at this point, I would say, even though I predicted the D-backs to win that division, based on what I'm seeing, 
you know, if the Dodgers uh, get healthy or, or relatively healthy, I think they overtake the D-backs and, and, and uh, take that division. They're yeah, just so deep. And as we're getting set for our, uh, our final break, what's been nice about the Dodgers because of those injuries they had early on, they had a lot of quality pitchers and quality players returning. So when we're thinking about trades and moves where the Dodgers will probably make a move or two, what was nice is they were playing well and they still had Maeda missing some games. Kershaw just came back. Bueller's missed some games. Hill missed some games. Uh, Wood has been really the only one who's been pitching all the way through, and he was struggling early on. He's starting to settle down a little bit. Urias is just throwing off a mound. People forgot all about him. He's been gone for a long time. He's going to be ready to make his return. He could be a very good like bullpen piece for the Dodgers towards the end of the year. A guy who has legit stuff, who might not be ready to you know to throw starter type innings in key games at the end of the year, but you know as, as we saw last year, you can move some of these players to the pen, and Kenta Maeda became a huge weapon in the bullpen for the Dodgers last year. A guy like Urias can possibly become that. So that's what's been nice for the Dodgers, as you pointed out, their depth. It seems like when one man goes down, another two come up firing, and they're ready to go. So uh, I was nervous early on in the year, but we talked about the World Series hangover. You know, we had Harrison on before the season. We talked about how it's going to be a little bit of a struggle that first month. You know, you play in the most meaningful games of your life, you lose, and now you got to come back and play another 162 just to get back there and get another shot. So now I think they're fi- they've finally gotten over that hangover. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Hey, before we get to the, uh, the last commercial break here, who is the favorite for the Manny Machado sweepstakes? Oh, that's a good question. That's a good question. Now, I've, I've been reading that both of our two teams are, are very heavily invested in Machado, Boston and, uh, and the Dodgers. So who, and, who would the Dodgers move position-wise the, next year, and who, who plays where if they did uh, get him? Okay, so I think the Dodgers would move Turner to second. Or, in particular, right now, they could play Machado at shortstop because Seager's out for the rest of the year. So they could play Machado at short and just leave it as it is, keep Taylor in the outfield, and that'd be fine. They could pay, play Machado at third and move Turner to second and then have Muncie kind of doing what he's doing and just kind of filling in all over a little outfield, a little first base, wherever it be need, need be. That's that's a major positive with the Dodgers because um, uh, I've read that along with Machado, some other players that they are looking into, guys like Asdrubal Carrera, who can play multiple positions because the Dodgers have such versatility. They like some of the players that can move around a little bit. So... I, if I were the Dodgers, though, I, I heard that they had um, offered Verdugo and then another pitching prospect, and that Baltimore turned that down. And I'll tell you right now, Verdugo is going to be a legitimate big league hitter. Um, he is going to be an excellent, like, I project him as a guy that's going to hit 280, like, constantly. And just, even when he's been up, he's been excellent for the Dodgers. He's a very, very good hitter. Uh, but I, I don't know if I would want to empty out for Machado if I'm the Dodgers, because as you said, Machado's an upgrade, but if you already have, you know, Turner, Seager, guys like Muncie and Taylor that are solid players in your future, do you want to give up a ton for Machado? It's it's really, to me, it's the asking price. How much is it? Because I think the Dodgers really need more of like a number two pitcher and maybe another piece in the bullpen 
than they do another bat in the lineup. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I guess one final point, and then we'll uh, take it to commercial break here, is this. Whoever the team that gets him, I think they're going to be looking at it from the short and the long term. In other words, I don't feel that any team is going to view him as just a rental. A lot of times you'll get a reliever or a starter or a Darvish, and and he's really, really more of a rental. If we get him next year, so be it. I think in Machado's case, you're going to have to give up some big-time Big time prospects. You're gonna have to mortgage the future out, and I don't think any team's gonna trade for him unless they know that they could sign him in the long term. Who knows? Maybe that's even like a you don't see it that much in baseball as you do in basketball, but like a sign and trade type scenario sure. where they have at least uh, assurances at the at the very least that he's gonna be with them for the next five to seven years. And I think if that's the case, then teams like the Red Sox, Yankees, Dodgers that have deeper farm systems. The Yankees are the deepest of, of the teams I mentioned. Will be more apt to get this guy. But hey, man, this guy is a stud. I remember a couple of years ago they were trying to figure out who is the better player between Machado and Harper, and everybody is leaning towards Harper because of the name. But I think at this point in time, sorry to, to harp on Harper, but the guy has had plenty of opportunities to be a standout, and so far he just has not put it together. I give the nod to Machado. I would mortgage the future to get this guy if you could keep him for the long term. Let's take our next commercial break. We'll wrap up with baseball and talk a little World Cup. Let's do it. we got to make some home run derby predictions, and then we'll get your, uh, your World Cup final prediction. Absolutely. So stay with us. We will be back in a brief moment. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fan's perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network. And let's talk football. Get ready for the Get Down with Hurley Brown. Want to get inside of the minds of the players and coaches? We'll talk everything sports, but with a focus on the NFL, NBA, and college football. We'll review and preview the week's big games. We'll talk about the draft choices and free agents and go inside the teams for news, recruiting, and what's next from the colleges to the pro teams. It's the Get Down with Hurley Brown, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific, on Voice America Sports. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. The home stretch here on the Mike Gabadier Show. We are finishing up our conversation about the MLB All-Star Game. But uh, a little teaser, Mike. You know, you and I as horse racing fans, 
Next week, we're already going to be in the middle of uh, of Del Mar and Saratoga. So next week, let's pick out a couple races on, over the weekend. We'll have some good stakes races to talk about, and we can do a little handicap because um, this week and during the Low Sal, there hasn't been as you know big names and big stud stakes races that we see. But next week, we'll have some Saratoga and some Del Mar. So uh, I'm already going to extend a challenge to you to pick out a couple races next week so we can handicap. How's that sound? That sounds good. I actually looked for this weekend just to see if there was anything worth talking about. And uh, let's face it, the last couple of weeks have been kind of a dog you-know-what. Uh, nothing intriguing, nothing compelling. The California racing has just been garbage, even though I'm a huge, huge homer for California racing. But the fairs have been at its worst. I mean, you even in the past had good mule races in the fairs. Yeah, I'm almost embarrassed to say that. But you had mules that have won 60 races going up against mules that have won 50 races. Right now I'm seeing, I mean, they're practically like maiden mules. I mean, who gives a rats? You know what? So the fairs have been junk. The Los meat kind of cute, but kind of minor league as well. Uh, you know, poor fields, small fields, nothing intriguing or exciting. Can't wait for Del Mar and Saratoga. That's when the big time races come back. So a little bit of a tangent, but I was thinking yeah. about it and seeing the dates and getting ready because those Del Mar past performances for opening day are going to come out soon. And that's always a that's always a great day when they do to sit down and start the capping. But let's uh let's make some selections here, Mike, for the home run derby. They have it as a bracket now. And they changed it. I think I really like the format, how they changed it to a uh, timing instead of just outs. Because with the outs, it got very kind of slow in between. You could take your time. It, you know, now with the timing, when that clock starts running down, the pressure really starts setting in. So that's that's fun. I like the way it's gone the last couple of years. Let's make some selections. Uh, the one seed is Jesus Aguilar versus the eight seed, Reese Hoskins. Who do you like in that matchup? No, no brainer here. You got to go my, with that guy. Man, Jesus. I'm my with man, you Jesus, man. We both go in Jesus there. The 4 5 matchup, Bregman versus Schwarber. You know, I'll take Bregman. I think he's a better line drive hitter, even though Schwarber is the, 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 the home run slugger. But I'm going to take Bregman. Line drive hitters typically do pretty well on this. And I think overall, Bregman's a better hitter. And then Harper and Freeman in the 2 7. I'm going to actually go with Schwarber in that 4 5 1. Harper, Freeman in the 2 7. Harper, I think this is his opportunity to shine at home. Yeah, this is where we'll go our separate ways. I'm going to go with Freddie the Free Man. Even in D.C., yeah? Even, Even in D.C. Oh. I think the pressure might be a little much for Harper. I could see him being, like, really, really pumped up. You know, and then and just not hitting a home run even, or one of those things where he's just too excited. Um, and then uh, Muncie and Baez, I got to go with Muncie. To be honest, as uh, the rivalries the last couple of years with the Dodgers and the Cubs, Russell and Baez are two of my least favorite players. I just dislike <laughs> because they're good and they always seem to come up and get a big hit. I dislike them so much as a Dodgers fan. So I'm going with Muncie. Yeah, I think Baez uh, played in many more uh, pressure-filled situations, so i got to go with Baez, although it would be really cool to see Muncie continue with his hot hitting and win this thing and, and keep it going through the rest of the season. You never know when it's one of these guys that's never done it before how long they'll keep with that torrid streak, but uh, as long as Muncie does it, I'm rooting for him. And uh, and then let's, uh, let's continue on. Um, I, I think my upset would be Schwarber. I think Schwarber's going to make it to the finals. I would pick Schwarber over Hayes, our guy Jesus, and then uh, I would pick Freeman over Muncie. So for me, uh, I think it would be Schwarber, Freeman, and I will go with a little bit of an upset with Schwarber. I think he's a home run hitter. I think with his swing, this might be his competition. Um, someone who's had a quiet season, this could be a big moment for Schwarber. So that'll be my kind of dark horse pick. 
I'll take Aguilar all the way through on the left side of the bracket, and I'll take Harper on the right side of the bracket, and I'm going to say that the hometown hero wins. It just uh, seems to kind of work out that way oftentimes, and Harper, uh, this is his chance to kind of turn his season around, maybe use this as momentum. I actually thought he would decline the invite, but, you know, seems like some of these guys come in and say it messes up their home run swing. But then other guys, they kind of use it as a springboard for the rest of the season. So and with the maybe way Harper's changed, looking at it that way. And the way the swings have changed and stuff the last couple of years, honestly, so many of these guys are swinging that way anyways with yep. that uppercut swing as it is. So, um, yeah, great great baseball conversation today. Um, we'll, uh, we'll revisit what happened in the All-Star Game and the Home Run Derby next week. But we have a few minutes left. Let's talk about the FIFA World Cup final. And, One quick uh, note before we do, though. Yeah. Do you give a rat's you-know-what about the fact that nobody's talking about this, that Pacquiao is fighting this weekend? Did you even know that Manny Pacquiao is fighting this weekend on wow. the 14th against Lucas Mathise? Wow. No. Yeah. Uh, talk no. about fa- falling on hard times, huh? I mean, wow. there was one point where a Pacquiao fight was that and Mayweather were the two biggest draws. Now there's not even a single person talking about it. I bet you if you pulled even boxing fans, they didn't even know he's fighting this weekend. Anyways, I enough I about no that. Let's, I mean, I had no, I had absolutely no clue. Yeah. Probably wasn't even worth me bringing up, but I just thought it was uh, it kind of a joke. It is funny to see how, how he's fallen just five years ago. All, always those Derby Day fights that he yep. had. They were the big, one, the big ones on the first Saturday in May. Wow! Well, uh, as we transition from uh, from the poor Manny Pacquiao, who doesn't get any more mainstream love in the fighting world, our uh, U.S. men's Olympic or U.S. men's soccer team got no no love whatsoever. Didn't even make it to this year's World Cup. So for me, Mike, as someone who roots for the U.S. and then for Italy, I like it. I'm a soccer fan, and I watched most of it, but it was a little bit of a downer throughout the tournament. Some some great play, but. I think I heard someone say the other day, if you're looking at the final four teams, there were basically like a final four, if you're talking NCAA basketball tournament, where no number ones made it, but like a bunch of twos and threes. Some really good teams, but no, maybe none of the real big sexy, sexy teams with a Brazil or a Germany, even an England losing. But we get a good French team and we get a good team from Croatia. Um, what are your thoughts on this final? It's kind of what I hope for in, in, a, in a way where I was, uh, if you remember before the tournament started, I said, I hope for a David against Goliath, you know, and in this case here, I think the Goliath would have to be France. They've won it, you know, somewhat recently, Croatia, uh, you know, second smallest nation to ever get to the World Cup final. So they're definitely a, an underdog, definitely a David in this case. Croatia's played some fantastic soccer. France has some really, really fantastic young studs. Uh, they have this 19-year-old, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce his name, so I'm not going to even bother butchering it. But uh, him and, and, and Giroud and all these guys that play really well together. So it's been well-earned you know, from the, from the Frenchman. Um, I don't know. I think I'm going to go for an upset here and, uh, and take Croatia. They've just been one of those teams. They're rolling right now. I'm with yeah, you. Yeah, they haven't... They haven't uh, they haven't given up whether it's uh, they're behind or, or ahead or in extra time or in, in penalty kicks. They've been able to kind of tackle any adversity and, and beat it out. Okay, so you're going Croatia. I'll, I'll do this just for the sake of fun. I'll go the other way with France and we'll bet a beer on it. How's that sound on the game? 
That sounds so that, way, that way, when we link up next week for our pre-show meeting and uh, and to talk about what next week's show is going to be, uh, the whoever wins will have to buy the other a beer. That sounds like a good plan. That sounds I like, like a it. really good plan. So, so we only have a minute left. Um, we got to make sure to, to give everyone a reminder out there. Make sure if you can, head on over to iTunes or anywhere where you can give us a, a nice five-star rating and review. They really help us. They got to jump us up the the ratings and they jump us up the charts and they, sh- they give us comparisons to other shows. So what it does is other people who listen to other sports shows, they'll notice what we're closely related to. So it's a big, big help for us if you get a chance to do that. And we'd love to have more questions from you. Let's start. We're going to try to get some more polls out there and some more reader feedback. Maybe even one of these shows, Mike, we'll do like a mailbag show where we, you know, we pick out maybe 10 or 15 questions from the readers and the listeners and ask some questions about your personal life and about my personal life and some of our fandom and just different things like that. And uh, one last note, since Gino mentioned next week's exciting races or racing that's going to be coming about opening days, you know, uh, upcoming at Saratoga and at Del Mar send races over for handicapping. You know, I'll give it, I'll give it a shot, but I'll tell you what, there's nobody better on the planet going back, looking at race replays and figuring out which horses that are coming from the different tracks all over the place. And then they all meet for one race and who will come out on top than Gino. So let us know what races you want captain and we'll talk about it. Good thing I paid you before the show to say that. (laughs) Thank you, Mikey. Thank you, Mikey. That was a great show. Thanks to all the listeners out there and make sure to subscribe and listen to us each and every week. Give us some tweets out there too. We love the feedback. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. Enjoy your sports weekend. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a great week.